Welcome to the Moms for Social Justice podcast, where we talk about how you can make your community a more awesome place. Last week, we held a panel about running for school board, and we thought the information was so incredible and invaluable that we decided to air it as this week's episode. We had four panelists, and they are Katherine Jeter, former Hamilton County Commissioner. Holly Berry is the mayor of Red Bank, Tennessee. Kathy Lennon is a former Hamilton County School Board member. And Gloria Johnson is a Tennessee House representative, and she's also running for U.S. Senate. These ladies had such incredible, helpful information. We felt it was really inspiring. And if you think it's inspiring and there's somebody in your life that you think should run for local office, please share this episode with them. Um, We hope it will be helpful and empowering. Uh, Enjoy the episode. Hey, hey, MSJ, Taylor here, and we are so excited to have all of you joining us for tonight's conversation where we will be talking about running for school board and running for public office in general. Uh, We really wanted to have a sit down with some of our local and state candidates to talk about what that process was like for you, how you made that transition from seeing, you know, perhaps some of your elected officials sitting in the seats and thinking, you know what, I think I could do a better job. (laughs) It's one thing to have that thought. It's quite another to have that thought and, and make that decision, make that leap into running for public office. So thank you to our, you know, esteemed panelists that we have this evening. Thank you for taking time out of your schedules to to chat with us. We appreciate it. Uh, If you don't mind taking a little bit of time and introducing yourselves, um, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground here. So we're going to try to limit our remarks to around two minutes. But if you could please introduce yourself, the office that you either currently hold or have held in the past, and if you could remember, um, maybe one of the catalysts, whether it was someone encouraging you or something happening that just urged you to run, what was it for you that that made that transition from, I think I can do this, to I'm going to do it? Katherine, uh, can we start with you? Awesome. Well, first off, thank you so much to um, MSJ for the invitation to be a part of this very esteemed um, panel um, with these amazing ladies. It was truly an honor to be asked. Um, I'm Kathleen Jeter. I um, am a mother at first, a first part. Um, it's, it's probably the most important job that I have. And secondly, I'm a community advocate um, I work here locally with the Enterprise Center, currently um, doing some amazing work in the Orchard community. And then the other part that makes who I am um, is that I am very passionate about um, community and serving um, and ensuring that um, individuals both here um, and probably throughout Southeast Tennessee, because that's where my work has expanded over the last 20 years, 
um, have access to the services and, and the things that they need on a daily basis. And that's what really led me to um, raise my hand and say, um, I think I want to do this. Um, I um, ran for Hamilton County Commission for District 5. Um, and let me start off by saying I did not think that I wanted to be in politics. Um, I always tell the story that um, the closest thing that I got to politics was watching Scandal with my big Olivia Pope glass <laughs> wine, um, and loving her fashion, right? Um, but it was really the work that I did in both rural Tennessee and here in Chattanooga that really um, motivated and led me to that work. And many times I think as women, if I'm being transparent, we don't see ourselves in these really male-led roles. Um, and it was all of my friends and um uh, peers that that saw something in me that said, Kaplan, we really see you serving in this capacity. We need you. And it was multiple, multiple conversations that that led me to to raise my hand um, that got me in that seat. Yeah, I'm so glad that um, number one that you did, MSJ followed your campaign from really the beginning uh, to that amazing night that you won. Catherine, can you remind us how slim that margin was, your victory? Ooh, it was so slim. I remember that night, 15 votes. It's the power of the yes. vote. And when people say that their vote don't matter, mm -mm, I, I do not take that no more. I do not take it. And, yeah. and again, you know, I was one of those people. I used to be, I used to, I used to say I used to play with politics. I don't play with it no more. I'm, I'm a living example of from the beginning to the end of what it takes, what it means to not only to serve, because I, I, I have served it, right? But um, the, the power of the vote. I mean, like literally I can remember going out and meeting folks and, and earning the trust, earning that vote, but then also what it, what it means for a, a ordinary person's vote. What does that truly mean? Yeah, I have experienced that firsthand. Oh, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. Um, yeah, Catherine, I don't think there will ever be a day that I'm just not so moved by that story. So thank you for being here tonight and sharing a little bit of your journey with us. Uh, Kathy, can we can we move to you and and hear a little bit um, about what that journey was like for you? Because you are our only panelist this evening who actually served uh, on the school board. So we're going to have a lot of these questions directed towards you and your experience. Um, yes. And thank you for inviting me. I'm very honored to be a part of this panel. Um, and my story is a little bit like Catherine's. I had I, I really had not had a lot of experience in ever in running for um, anything in politics. And my story started because I was out in Montana visiting my daughter. And I'm sure most of you all remember about what happened at Ultawa um, back in 2015, maybe. Um, I had been an educator for 27 years, um, taught school, uh, then head of a department. I was a swim coach. And I was like, how can this be happening in our community? 
this is wrong. And when I got home, I just, they started having a lot of listening sessions and community meetings about that they were recruiting school board members. And I was going to him. I dragged my husband to him, who was also a, a school teacher. And I just really was moved. And I came home and I told my husband, I said, you know, if I didn't even know what district I was in, guys, I honestly did not know which district I was in. But I said, you know what, I am going to if if the district is open, I am going to run. Um, well, guess what? It was open. I was in District 2. And I said, I am putting my name in the hat. I, I, I'm tired of things not. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of of the students that live in the good zip codes get all of the resources. You know, where are the resources for our kids in all districts? You know, I felt very passionate about that. And so I did. I um, put my name in the hat. It's the hardest daggum thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> but it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. It took yeah. a lot. You know, I didn't know anything about how to run a campaign. And but I had so many people that stepped up, Catherine, like you did. You know, you can do this. Thank you for running. You know, we appreciate it. And I'm like you. I won by 92 votes. And that was it. And I feel so honored that I did win a seat on the school board. Um, and I served from 2016 to 2020. And after 2020, I have stayed engaged um, in politics. And Holly might be able to tell you that um, I have stayed engaged, especially in Red Bank. Um, and I will continue to stay engaged. I've taken a little bit of a break, but um, it was truly, it's hard. It's really hard to uh, you know, you have to get the support of your family, your friends, yeah. you have to ask for money, you have to go out and knock on doors every single day. Um, so mm -hmm. it was hard, but the rewards far outweigh, you know, when you're sitting up there and you're getting to make decisions that you know are going to benefit our students and our teachers, because they right now, our students and teachers, I feel like have been so slighted all across the state of Tennessee. And Gloria, that's why I'm counting on you and I support <laughs> you because oh, I feel like, we, <laughs> yes, I feel, we I feel all like are. you're going to, yes. I feel like you are going to help us in that. Um, as we, as we continue to make ch changes, but it's, yeah. a, it's to me, for me, it's about our students and it's about our teachers and that it's our responsibility to have the best education for every kid in Hamilton County, regardless of where they live. And I still don't think we're there yet. I think we have a lot of yeah. work to do. Um, but I feel like that people are willing to step up to the plate and you can tell that from the people that are here tonight. Yeah. Oh gosh. Kathy, it's hard not to listen to that. It's hard not to get emotional listening to you because especially as mothers with kids in our public schools uh, and, and believing wholeheartedly one of the tenets of our organization from the very beginning is that kids throughout our community, no matter what part of the, what corner of the community that they're in, that they all deserve access to quality public education. Right. Uh, that's, that's something that we owe to all of our kids. Um, and then to to hear you uh, really just articulate that yes, you know, making that leap and and deciding to run for for public office is a difficult one. It's it's a hard choice to make, but the people the people will come. Uh -huh. You know, they'll come to you. That support will be there, and and you were really lifted in that journey by the people around you. That's just such an inspiring story. 
Um, Holly, I'm going to move to you with your, your sleeping babe. Congratulations, by the way, on this new, beautiful, beautiful baby. And the fact that you have taken, you know, the time out of this precious, you know, <laughs> these precious infant moments to be with us tonight. We are just really grateful. Thank you, Holly. Thank you guys for having me. He's uh, just turned three months old. He was a preemie. Um, but this is, you know, this is why we do it, right? <laughs> so um, I'm Holly Berry. I am the mayor of Red Bank, Tennessee, which is, for those of you that don't know, an enclave city that's completely surrounded by the city of Chattanooga. It's only about 12,000 residents and about 6.4 square miles. So no, uh, no Tim Kelly here. <laughs> um, and you asked for how we got into politics. Well, uh, the person that got me into politics is on the call here. <laughs> um, I was a lot like um, Kathleen. I really had no interest in politics. Um, I would say my involvement was even lower, which was just being informed by my husband's latest Twitter feed, what the latest atrocity had been. Um, didn't like keeping up with national politics because it made me feel powerless um, and doomed. And um, I'm an artist by trade. And when the pandemic hit in 2020, I went from having a packed calendar of gallery openings and uh, art festivals and things to just nothing. And uh, Kathy Lennon here called me that August of 2020, you know, a few months after the shutdown and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about running for a Red Bank Commission? I said, no. <laughs> I hate politics. You know, I hate politics. Why would you even ask me that? And she said, well, hear me out. You know, the seat that you're eligible for, the person who was elected to that seat in 2018 passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. And the rest of the commission made an emergency appointment to fill that seat temporarily just until the next election. Well, the next election is here and nobody has pulled papers to run against that appointee. And so if nobody else runs, this appointee is going to win by default. Um, so we you say know, that so, so many times in this state, uncontested yeah. races. Yeah. So thank yeah, you. If nobody, <laughs> if nobody runs, then you yep. can't complain. You know, if somebody bad wins unopposed. So she appealed to my sense of civic duty and all of that good stuff. And, and I said, okay, well, can I talk to, can I talk it over with my family? Can I think about it? She says, absolutely. You should definitely do that, but think fast because the deadline's in two days. <laughs> so I got to sleep on it for one night yep. and uh, my family was all on board. And so I called her back the next day and said, Okay, I'll do it. And uh, she picked me up and we drove around in her car to every single house of every single person she knew in Red Bank to get uh, my petition uh, signed, you know, because you need 25 qualified voters in your district to, to qualify you to be on the ballot. And you want to get more than that. I'm sure you all get into that. Um, so we got like 30, 40 signatures that day and I turned them in like 4.30 p.m. the day of the deadline. 
And that is where I met my vice mayor, <laughs> Stephanie Dalton, in the parking lot of the uh, election commission turning in her paperwork. Yes. Um, and she wishes she could be here tonight, too. She had a, uh, a conflicting event. Oh, um, well, we'll excuse it. Stephanie is MSJ alumna. Today, so yeah. that was an exciting thing for us to see as well. So, Holly, that's such a, a fun you know, story from you as well, that you were basically dragged into politics, not kicking and screaming quite, but certainly reluctantly. Uh, uh, I, I would not say kicking and screaming would be too far of a stretch. <laughs> but but there was been... someone, yeah, someone suggesting, hey, you have an important voice. You, you can lend something to this community and your community needs you. Uh, the fact that you, you took that step and you made that personal sacrifice is, um, it's an inspiring thing. So I think for you. women, especially, it's really hard to see that potential in yourself it's so much easier for others to see that potential in you. And so I think that's my theory for one of the many reasons that women are underrepresented in politics is we have this, you know, imposter syndrome, surely someone out there is going to be better, you know, suited for this. They're not. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Yep. They're not. You, you are, you are suited. You are the right person for the job. 100%. You know, we we just uh, filmed our very first podcast episode last week, and it was about imposter syndrome that that so often plagues women and keeps women from doing things in their their lives and professionally, because we feel like we're not qualified, um, that our voice is not needed, it doesn't matter, it's, in it's intimidating to walk into a room full of men. Um, Catherine, you can attest to what it's like to walk, you know, into a room full of white men. That's a completely different dynamic. Um, but just it's it's an inspiring thing to be sitting in front of a panel full of women who did not let imposter syndrome prevent them from making that step into public service. So Gloria, we we saved you for the end. We want to hear, we want to hear the story of how a public school teacher as well. Uh, decided to to make that transition that you have to where you are now, which is from from our <laughs> lips to St. Dolly's ear is going to take Marsha Blackburn's seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. we're we're certainly going to try. That's that's for sure. But you know, for me, it's all very similar. Um, and I, and now as when the first thing I did, well, I got involved in politics. I never considered, I never even thought of myself as ever being a politician. I voted and I voted democratic, but I didn't follow partisan politics. I didn't, you know, I wasn't super involved and I didn't vote in primaries and things like that. I was what I would call a lazy voter. And, um, but I was tired, very tired of after two terms of George Bush, I knew we needed something different. And I was just enthralled with Barack Obama and I had heard that he might run for president. And so I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for a website to be up. And the day he put his website up, I signed up to volunteer. And so very early on, I got involved. They called you, they actually put you to work. I trained with some of the best trainers in the country. Um, I came back, I, I worked in South Carolina for that primary. I went over every weekend and every teacher vacation I had, I was over there. And um, 
took off a couple of days to go work the primary. And uh, then they won, you know, surprisingly won South Carolina. Then it's like, come back to Knoxville. Now what do I do? I opened a volunteer office, recruited 700 volunteers in Red East Tennessee. We did trips to North Carolina. We did phone calls. We, you know, we tabled here in Knoxville, knocked doors some in Knoxville, but uh, just learned how to organize precinct by precinct and how to talk to people on their doorstep because when it's an upside down race you have to meet people where they are and you're not going to change somebody's mind with a piece of mail or a television commercial you're only going to change their mind in a conversation on their doorstep or on the telephone and that really is is what we have to do so much and then i became party chair and my job was recruiting candidates and then in 2010 they um, redistricted. Of course, the Republicans drew the lines and redistricted. My district had been about a plus two Democratic district. So we had had, for the last 22 years, Democratic representation. However, in 2010, they redrew the line so that it was a plus nine R district. That's so shocking. This, yeah, shocking. <laughs> So the Democrat uh, retired. He didn't want to try that tough race that was, uh, you know, down not starting down nine points. And I tried and tried to recruit as party chair. That was my job, candidate recruitment. And like you said, you know, so many times you'll ask a woman to run and it's like, oh, I just feel I don't feel like I know enough or you know, I'm just, I don't know what it looks like. And, and I have to tell people every single time I ask someone to run, I say, you already know more than the incumbent does. Let me just tell you, you already <laughs> know more. You may not realize it yet, but you already know more. And um, and it's the truth. And it's, you know, you, you figure out as you go how it works. It's one of those building the plane while flying. However, you have good people, you know, always make sure you have a good support system when you decide to run. I decided to run. And again, it was just a not very different from the ladies on so far. My race was, I won with less than 300 votes. And wow. so it was, and I was a school teacher. So school teachers don't have the time during the day to, oh, go take a phone call or slip off to a meeting. You know, I, I, I taught special ed, high school emotionally disturbed kids. You can't leave for five minutes. And so I, eight to four, I was locked in and could do no work. So everything I did was between four and midnight. So you really had to um, compress, you know, all the door knocks you could get in there and all the meetings that you could get to. But I tell people, be careful not to spend all your time showing up at those political type meetings where all the politicos go because those people typically know who they're going to vote for, and they may not even be in your district. Two hours knocking doors for people you know are registered to vote and do go vote yeah. is so much better spent having those doorstep conversations than going to meetings that tend to be the same politicos who already know who they're going to vote for and may not live in your district. So Absolutely. I always caution people about that air on spending time in your district with registered voters. And um, so that's that's how, that's what happened with me. And then after that, the two cycles after, I was so 
um, so outspoken on public education that the first, in 2014, they came back with uh, $250,000 of outside money and beat me by 180 votes. In 2016, they came in with $700,000 of outside charter and voucher monies and beat me by 150 votes. So I ran again in 2018 and beat them by 2,500 votes. And um, so sometimes it goes back and forth. It's tough, it's not easy, but, but every single election I ran, even when I lost, I didn't feel like I lost anything. I know that we worked as hard as we possibly could have to win that race. We met a lot of people, made a lot of contacts. And, you know, when you're an elected official, people don't even have to agree with you 100%. Like, yeah. they're, they're voting for you to, to be their vote. They, they want to trust you more than they really necessarily have to agree with you on everything. Because I, I usually get 9 to 12% of the Republican vote. Um, you'll go in my district, and as odd as it feels, there will be Trump signs and Gloria signs in the same yard. And a lot of times it's because of education. Yeah, yeah. But but it's just so critical that we get out there and give people a choice. And you may not win the first time or the second. Might take the third time. But unless we give people a choice, we do not have the best government we can get. And, and like I'm telling y'all, you never know if somebody you're running against is going to get indicted. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. It's the world we're living anything, in right now, right? Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So if we don't have somebody in the race, yeah, it's theirs. 100%. Gloria, I'm so, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, and as Holly mentioned as well, so often in Tennessee, we see uncontested races. And, you know, if we can make some of the, it's not even about winning to your point, Gloria, mm -hmm. if we can make some of these races competitive, then it gives uh, the voters there an idea that change is possible, even if it's not quite there yet. Right. I mean, think about think about all the rural counties that don't have Democratic representation at the state. We have slowly lost every rural um, Democrat in the state. And the interesting thing is, because and yet we know no there are rural Democrats, right? Absolutely. And the problem is we're not getting our message in their heart strong enough. And part of the reason is because people feel it's so red, why bother? But running, giving those people that choice and running with that good, strong message of we want to raise the wage. We want everyone to have access to health care. We want to make sure we have child care infrastructure across the state. We want to make sure our we have the best public schools in the country. You know, those types of things are what Democrats run on or progressives run on. Yeah. And then, of course, not banning books and raising teacher salaries and all of those things. And if we're not getting out there talking about it, if we're not offering a choice, we'll never get there. Yeah, uh, I could not. Uh, <laughs> 
could not agree more. And that is why we are here tonight. And I know I'm getting texts like get on topic, Taylor, we're talking about school board tonight. That's why we're here tonight, because we have uh several seats on our school board coming up, um, coming open and no one running for school board. So that's why we're here tonight. We want to talk about um, what that process is like, what what running for school board, um, what that entails, what school board members actually do. And just to give, because here's the thing, if you're listening, even if you are not the person who has running for office in the back of your mind, you might know someone in your circle right? Who you think would be a great school board member. Uh, that's what tonight is for, to, to demystify that process, clarify the process, and let it be known that you can do it. And if you put your, if you put yourself out there, the people will come, right? So Kathy, if you don't mind, I want to direct this question to you and and, and to try to cover some of these questions, guys, we're going to try to limit our remarks to, to two minutes so that we can cover a little more ground here. And that's my fault because you guys all told such inspiring stories. Um, Kathy, can you really just walk us through what a school board uh, member actually does. I mean, we know that, you know, aside from meeting once a month in Hamilton County, that's usually the third Thursday of the month. Um, they're in charge of hiring the superintendent and and along with the county commission passing the general budget. What else does that entail? Um, I think it look, it's becoming a part of the district and where you're serving, I think is very important, important, you know, knowing uh, who your constituents are, knowing, listening is very, very important, paying attention to um, what the policies and procedures are for the school board. I thought that was very important. Um, and that was one of the first things I did when I decided to run as I looked at what all the policies were for the school board. What was my responsibility? Um, because I had no idea. And I think that's very important. I think it's important to realize that it's kind of like Holly. Um, it's kind of like even in my situation, Catherine's and uh, um, um, all of us that are serving is that I was not I, I don't feel like that I was somebody that would step out and serve, but because people believed in me, um, and it's kind of like, Holly, I believed in you, I saw in you that you would be a good candidate. And I feel like when people are asked, know that people believe in you and you have that gift, you have that skill. So, you know, don't back away from it. Somebody sees something in you that knows that you would be a good um serve it on the school board. And I think what it takes is commitment. I think it takes, um, you know, getting in there and meeting your, meeting at the principals, um, knowing what's important to the students. When students came to talk at our school board meetings, buddy, I was on whatever they had to say. When they said that they wanted to see a better no smoking on their campuses, you know, dadgummit, I was going to make sure because when kids come to you, that mattered to me. That was important to me. Um, I think that we have to listen, you know, because I was a teacher, my husband was a teacher. I think it was very important to know what the hiring process was, what every, 
anything that has to do with the school system, educate yourself because you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised at the holes. You're going to be surprised at sometimes, you know, the lack of leadership that existed. Um, and you, it, and it is the school board's responsibility to hire that superintendent, to hold that superintendent accountable. It's an, it's important to have a good a school board chair, a school board vice chair, somebody that's in charge of policy, somebody that's um, the legislative person that's not going to be afraid to use their voices um, on the uh, legislative level in Nashville, because we have to know what's going on in Nashville in order for us to improve our schools in Hamilton County. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would just like to quickly go around the panel. This can be 15 seconds. Like, how, how important uh, is it to you who sits on the school board? Like, do you feel like it matters who sits on the school oh, board? Definitely. Let me say that. Yes, definitely. yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> absolutely. And unfortunately, I feel, I, I hate that it's um, gone to a partisan race. You know, I feel like that that is really, that's that's not fair to our students and it's not fair to our teachers. And, you know, I don't know how you go about changing that, but we need to work on that. Gloria, maybe you can share with us, you know, how do we change that? Because that is not... Um, that's not good for anybody. And I think we saw that in the last election. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Kathy, what, what does the time commitment look like for a school board member? Um, you know, it, it, it is a time commitment. I'm not going to lie. You know, you do have your meetings. I'm the type of person, unfortunately, that, um, I really had to dive deep because I had no background in politics. So that first year for me, I had to read everything uh, because I'm not, I did not understand the budget. I did not understand what the role between the school board and the county commissioners were. That's crucial. You know, going <laughs> to tennis, to the um, TSBA, the Tennessee School Board Association trainings was crucial. So that first year, yes, I did put a lot of time in it. Did I, I also worked full time, um, yeah. but it's doable. Um, the meetings, you have a meeting on the third Thursday of every week, plus you also have a work session. Uh, as well. Every month, right? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Every <laughs> month. And then you okay. also have a work session. Um, then as far as things within your district, you know, I wanted to get to know my district better. So I, I established a district to advisory board. Um but it was wonderful. I learned more from them than they could have ever taught me because every time it just so happened that the advisory committee meetings were on the Tuesday before my school board meeting. So it was like, whoa, I had fuel to take. I had things to take to this to the school board. They brought up things that I would not have thought about, but they told me what was important to them. I had a student, I mean, a teacher and a parent from every school in District 2 on the committee. So it was valuable information. Well, Kathy, I think that is just a testament to who, who you are, and you guys can perhaps all weigh on this to some extent, that a, a fair amount of our elected officials do not spend the amount of time um, training, educating themselves, reading the legislation that they're voting on, um, or taking the time to meet with the, the constituents and the voters in, in their district. So you guys can can feel free to weigh in on that. But yeah, Kathy, basically giving yourself a holding public office one on 101 crash course that first year, Holly made the comment that it's like drinking from a water hose. So perhaps you, you can talk to that as well, Holly, what that's been like for you. 
Sure. Uh, yeah, I had no background in politics or anything close to it um, when I got into it. And not only in Red Bank, there's no mayor on the ballot. So I didn't run for mayor. I ran for Red Bank commissioner. Um, but after each election, we choose from amongst ourselves who's going to be mayor and vice mayor from among the five of us. And I was chosen to be mayor. So I went from nothing to mayor, which also means I chair the meetings. And so I, to be honest, had never even heard of Robert's Rules of Order when I, <laughs> you know, until after I won my election and I had to learn real fast, mm -hmm. not only what Robert's Rules were, but how to conduct a meeting in Robert's Rules, which was um, really quite strenuous. In addition to learning the ins and outs of how municipal government works and how it interacts with the other levels of government at the state and federal and county level. Um, and so all of those things, you know, it was a lot to take in all at once. Um, we have the advantage of something called MTAS um, here in the Municipal Technical Advisory Service that provides assistance at no cost to municipal leaders. Uh, I believe there is a CTAS also, County Technical Advisory Service. I have not interacted with CTAS in my role, um, but there are resources out there to help you. And of course your, your peers, if you're lucky, um, people who helped you run, um, people like Kathy, um, you know, you put together your kitchen cabinet, as we put it, during yeah. the game, if you win, and those same people are often valuable resources to help you grow into that role. And that is yeah. what you might have to count on doing is, is growing into that role. And that's okay. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's a relief to know that once you, once you actually get in the seat, that there are resources to kind of help you get up to speed on what it is, um, what it is to hold public office. But, you know, I see in the chat that people are asking to talk about the campaign, the campaigning process. Um, so yeah, Catherine and Gloria, if you would like to maybe talk a little bit about what what campaigning was like for you. Um, I think as, as a woman, how you feel like that affected um, campaigning and, and just in general, what that process was like. Yeah, um, I first just piggybacking off of the, the, what the previous kind of comments, um, I'll say, you know, if for anything, if anyone is thinking about um, getting into politics, I think the biggest thing, one of the biggest takeaways for me is to be authentic in who you are. Like I, when I went into politics and went into this, one of my, I'm, I'm very um, big in my faith. And one of my biggest prayers to God was, you know, Lord, don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be changed by this um, in the sense of my core values, who I am as a, as a person, as a mother, as a friend, um, as a community servant, um, I know that this process will overall evolve me and change me in a sense of um, the work that I do in the community. But I didn't want to wake up the next day and look in the mirror and be like, who in the hell are you? Like, you know, I didn't want that. Um, but I think the biggest thing is I, I got the re one of the reasons why I ran was I got tired of seeing fake people, if I'm just being real, right? Mm -hmm. And so especially as women, like 
just go in and be real and be authentic, ask for help. I think one of the things that's been consistent amongst all of us is that, you know, we, we, we might not have known the rules. We might not have, you know, known how to do X, Y, and Z, but you can ask for help. You can, you know, have the support system. Um, you don't have to have the playbook. Build it. Build it while you go. And trust me, you will have the resources. So that's one of the biggest takeaways. Um, in a sense of running and doing the campaign, I just said it. Like, I didn't have a playbook. I, every, one of the biggest things when, when I finally said yes, I had so many people in my ear and saying, Kathleen, you need to do it just like this. And guess what? It was all men. It was all men telling me how I needed to do X, Y, and Z. And I threw all of that away. And guess what I did? I chose a campaign team that had no experience. Who does that? And to this day, I sit back and I look back like, I actually should not have won. If you talk to all the political heads, they probably would say there's no way she should have won with that team of folks that she had. But I did. My treasurer was my best friend and she is a stellar with her money. So that's why I chose her. My community person was my cousin who when she talks about grassroots efforts she she is the go-to person she knows people she knows how to get out there knock doors make relationships I looked at skill sets that I knew I knew that I needed that because that I could trust sorry somebody's at my door Oh, go for it and and people who believed in you Catherine am I right that your team was entirely women entirely women, but I chose skill sets that I knew that I, number one, could trust and that I could have women that at the end of the day that I could lean on and that knew me well. And so if there's anything that I could give is don't believe the hype. Don't feel like you got to go with the traditional and the norms. Go with your gut. Trust you. You know you, and that's what you build on. And so yeah. that's the biggest thing that I did in terms of um, besides following the rules, like, you know, whatever seat you're looking at or considering, um, you know, look at those eligibility requires, do your research. I did my research for me and it served me well. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with people who believed in you and you yeah. believed in them. That sounds like that was just really magic for you guys. Gloria, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, just campaigning in general. Yeah. I know you, you touched on that a little bit that you really feel like it's the, con it's the human connections that matter. Yes. yes, absolutely. And, and she's right, you know, especially in a local in a very local race, school board races are critical right now. That's where the importance is. We know that there are extremists going after those school board seats and in a lot of places, they're putting a lot of money into them and a whole lot of effort. So we really have to double our efforts. So when folks, you know, if I was going to run for a local race, probably the only local race I would run for is school board. I mean, as far as county, you know, and not statewide, but because um, I just think it's a critical place right now. And, and that means it's not also not easy. But, you know, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to file your paper and file a treasurer. And so for me, I didn't, it, a lot of people say, go, oh, get somebody who's got a big political name or something like that. I did not. I went and got a friend of mine who I know had a finance degree 
and had her own small business and, and not politically known at all. And that's who I chose as a treasurer. And then you got to, you need to make sure you have five to 10 close friends. And I think Kathleen talked about, you know, her, her close group. Sometimes you call them your kitchen cabinet, whatever, but um, having those people, you know, that have committed to you some high time commitment. Um, it's always important to ask people in advance, how much time do you have to commit to this race? Mm -hmm. um, and, and because people need an idea of what you're expecting from them, as well as you knowing who's going to be on your team. And so it's always too good to say, well, can you commit to 10 hours a week or just two hours a week? You know, what is that commitment? Um, and, and, and certainly figuring out who's best to be my volunteer coordinator. You know, who's got the gift of gab that can keep calling people every day and make show, sure they're showing up to knock doors and all of that. And, you know, depending, you really should use data. Data is critical. Get get the, the database, the vote biller database, so that you are not wasting your time knocking on doors where people aren't registered voters or, you know, things like that. We always go, we go to the doors of registered voters who are known to be voters at first. And so you talk to all the people you know who are going to vote and get that commitment from them. Then you reach out to the people who don't always vote, but sometimes do, you know, and you try to get that group of folks who need to be motivated to come to the polls, always increasing your volunteer base so you can increase the number of people that you reach out to. It really is a game of numbers. And yeah. so many times in school board races, if you're the one who can get out and hit the most doors and make sure you're targeting doors for people who are likely to go and vote for you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you'll go to somebody's door and they'll say, you're the only person who's ever come to my door. You've got my vote. I mean, just for showing up at the door, they want to vote for you very often. So people need to trust you. And I think that, that Kathleen hit on this as well. Just be yourself. So many times we see yeah. politicians trying to protect and give off this image. Well, that doesn't come across as genuine. And, and as I talked about, these people want someone they trust with their vote, even if they don't agree with you. If they feel like you're an honest person, you're shooting them straight, you're not trying to say what they want to hear and all that kind of stuff, much more likely to, to support you. And so all of those things mm. are critical, but, you know, I hate that fundraising is important, but it is. And, um, you know, you've got to make sure that you create a campaign plan. How many doors do you need to knock? How many, you know, choose your win number. You've got to, you've got to calculate your win number based on the former elections of that type um, in the last couple of cycles in that district. Make sure you understand how to, how to um, uh, get to your win number. And yeah. um, it's just critical. There's a, that data piece is so important because that is what Barack Obama did. He used the data to talk to the right people, to know exactly how many votes they had to get. And if you don't input that data back in, then it, it didn't happen. 
because yeah. the thing about it is if you if you say you lose by 100 votes the first time if you have all your data you know who supports you and you know where you've got to go the next, the next time. time so yeah, that, that absolutely keeping that data of every door you knocked every phone call you had you know all of those things are just critical to building um for whoever comes next whether you win or lose you want to build for the person who comes after you oh that's such a good point that even if it's not you you could mm -hmm. help lay that groundwork of success yeah. of of someone coming after you uh yeah that's so inspiring and and you know having listened to each of you describe that win window for you being so narrow just really should demonstrate to us all that these races are winnable and sometimes they're winnable by just a few <laughs> votes um that's why that human to human contact what i'm hearing from all of you is just so important and i think that women are uniquely qualified for making those types of connections with people right um you know, if anything, I feel like as women, we are we are the most qualified and we are the most equipped to have a seat at these tables. Uh, I know we're running out of time. And so, you know, we had a big question on on the lack of diversity in our school board. We have a majority of our school board seats coming up for reelection, six out of 11 seats. And the ones that are left are all white men, save for one, one black woman. And I, you know, can only imagine what that must feel like for her. We don't have to spend too much time on this because I feel like we're we're preaching uh, to the choir in a, in a respect, but how important we feel that it is to see people sitting on the school board that reflect the community they're serving. And does it reflect our community that we have a majority of white people, majority of white men sitting, uh, representing over 45,000 students, over half of which are students of color? How, how does that sit with you all? It doesn't sit. I mean, and it's not to say, you know, um, it's not to say that, um, you know, we certainly can have allies in this work, right? Um, and I appreciate many of you here are friends, your allies in this work to elevate um, many issues that affect people that look like me, black people, black, you know, black and brown. But I always say representation matters. Um, you know, in order for us to have um, the, 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 the change that we really seek um, in our schools, we've got to have um, Black and Brown people that are sitting in those seats that can speak to it and that can um, elevate it to the degree that it, it, that it needs to be. Again, it doesn't mean that um, a white person or someone else can't um, help lift that mantle and help um, get in the arena and help us fight this. But if we don't have the representation of black and brown people on our school board to help kind of fit, fix this um, systemic problems in our schools, then we're gonna keep seeing a lot of our schools um, here in Hamilton County continue to have the devastation of problems um, and it won't get better. Yeah, um, I, so. 
I couldn't agree. And I see in the chat, uh, Jamie's saying that once Marco leaves, no mm. one will be multilingual or have an immigrant um, family r representing that community. Uh, it's and and let me add that once he leaves, it makes it makes it harder to have then someone solo up there like Caritza to help yeah. fight this. Um, believe me, you know it, it, it doesn't look good, and it won't be a good position for her. Um, and that's where our community has to then rally even more behind someone like her to help um, elevate our voices and our mm -hmm. issues. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, the reality is so many of the attacks right now, attacks uh, banning books have to do with Black authors and Brown authors. And if we're going to overcome this, we need those folks on the school board that are really going to advocate. You are, you know, we are not, we're whitewashing history. We remove these books from the classroom and people say, well, they can go and buy them. No, some access for some people, the only thing they have is the access that they have at school. And so we have to be represented. You know, we more need more principals and more teachers, uh, black and brown, you know, all of these things, because um, we are being pushed in a horrible direction where we could lose a lot of the education, what little we have, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to issues of race and history of all of us, not just one community. Um, and representation has to be there to fight for making sure that we are teaching everyone's history in a way that it should be taught in an honest way. All kids uh, deserve to feel seen and, and valued. And that's, that's a really difficult task when you have a completely homogenous school board, uh, people making the decisions for, for all of these kids. So yeah, the, the, I don't know if you guys are feeling how high these stakes are, but it's, it's hard not to get emotional when you think about um, the possibility of these races going uncontested because it's, it's our kids who will suffer um, if we're not, if we're not doing everything that we can to make these races, at least, at least competitive, our kids deserve um, representation and they deserve better representation than they currently have. Um, in the, in the few I, remaining, I, Go ahead, with that, Taylor. I, I think it's so important for those that are attending this evening that are maybe even thinking about running. Please reach out because, um, yes, it is hard. You know, running a campaign is hard, but the benefits, it's what you're saying. It's students, students, students. We have got to be able to have people sitting up there on the school board that truly want to invest in our kids, that it's not, they're just not up there because they're part of the book banning group and that they're trying to do, you know, bad things. We have got to get um, and recruit candidates that truly care about the public education and what our kids are exposed to and our our teachers, they've got to support our teachers right now because they are, teachers, I don't know if you all pay attention to what's happening to teachers in Tennessee, but it's not pretty. And a lot of teachers are leaving the profession and it really is breaking my heart. And I feel like the school board has a, is a crucial, plays a crucial role in that. They can make a difference. They, they can if we have the right people elected. So please don't let 
um, running a campaign scare you. It is hard, but you're going to have support. You're going to have people here. There's enough people on it right now that are attending yeah. this that will step up and help you. And MSJ please, is you know. here to support you. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes. Wow. Yes. Could not agree with you more, Kathy. It's hard, but it's worth it and it's doable. Yes, so, worth um, it. so in our in our just few remaining minutes, we want to be respectful of everyone's time. Um, just what what are maybe you can drill it down to one of the major issues that are coming down the pipeline from the state legislature or even at a local level that you really think are going to be affecting um, not only schools in our county, but schools statewide, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of like the $1.8 billion that the GOP and now our governor is entertaining the the possibility of rejecting. Um, that's that's weighing heavily on my mind because we know that's going to affect our most vulnerable uh, students. Um, but for you, what are the biggest issues that you think that are coming down from the state level that are going to be affecting our schools? Uh, Holly, can we start with you? Well, in Red Bank, I've, you know, I'm a local politician, so mm -hmm. local issues on the mind. And right now, you know, the facilities improvement uh, plan that's been put forward by Mayor Womp's office is at the top of our minds. Um, so we've passed a resolution as a board um, directing, you know, kind of how we would like some of that to go, which is we just don't want to lose the last elementary school in Red Bank. Um, and we suggested that, you know, obviously we prefer to keep Alpine Crest open, but if we can't, we've suggested an alternate location um, to keep a elementary school here in our community that our children can, uh, some of our children can walk to, you know, that we, they won't have to be bused out um, to a different, you know, part of town. Um, and we can keep that that tight knit community that we have here um, that's been in place for for decades. So I know there's bigger issues facing our especially statewide, um, but that's the that's the top of the mind in Red Bank at the moment. Well, 100 percent. And, you know, it's it's really our own backyard uh, where we know that we can make the most substantive change. So we appreciate the advocacy that that you guys at the Red Bank Commission are are really, you know, working hard to to meet the the needs and the wants of the parents who have kids attending your schools. Um, you you know you guys included. Thank you. Thank the you. County Molly. school board might not be able to convince the governor to take that uh, federal money, but uh, the county school board does get to make the decision about the facilities plan. So 100%, 100%. Yeah. Catherine. Oh, I just put mine in the chat, but to me, oh. um, to the main things, there's a, there's a lot um, to the things that are of priorities for me that I'm, that I'm tracking and focusing are, uh, I agree with Holly is the facilities, but also um it's no no secret, but I'm a mother of a um, wonderful young man that has um, intellectual dis disability. So students with special needs in our schools is always going to be a huge priority. So looking at legislation and policy on areas of where we can improve. I mean, Hamilton County, we've made some some strides and some improvements, but we certainly across the board. Um, we still have some deficits, um, especially in schools like in District 5, um, where areas where we've, we've still got to make some, some vast improvements. 
Yeah. Oh gosh, could not agree more. You know, MSJ has had the unique opportunity to volunteer in so many of the schools across the county and really to see the the lack of of adequate facilities um, countywide. So we know this is a very complicated and nuanced issue and we're going to be following it closely. Um, Kathy. Um, you know, safety is a big thing with me and I don't think that our um, legislators in Nashville are willing to push that issue as far as gun control. I mean, we know what happened firsthand with the shooting in Nashville. That could happen in any community. And if they don't pass stricter gun laws, you know, I don't want, I don't want to hear the next shooting at a school in Tennessee. That should not happen. Um, that's pretty much a big priority for me, as well as I don't think I do not want our uh, as Gloria, you're a teacher, so I don't mind this isn't directed to you, but the, the, the legislators that have nothing to do with education, trying to decide what the curriculum is going to be, uh, what our kids are going to read, mandate the student, you know, testing. I think that, that that I think we need to give our teachers more power. The teachers are qualified to be teachers, not our current. Here, 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 here. Thank so you, that's Kathy. Important. That's important to me. Gosh, we we oh, we could not agree with you more. We, you know, as public school parents, we trust our our public school educators to do the job that they were trained to do. Um, we trust our teachers and librarians, and we would we would much prefer our our state politicians, uh, notwithstanding the the lovely politician who's joining us, uh, to keep to keep out of public education in that respect. Gloria. We're going to to finish with your your thoughts from a you know the top down the state level for you. What are the biggest issues that you think are going to be affecting Tennessee state schools? Yeah, I absolutely can't pick one. But what you talked about the federal funding and because because as a special ed teacher, I know that much of that federal federal funding goes to special ed. If if we leave it to the state, it's not going to happen for special ed kids. It's all also almost five hundred million dollars of the school lunch program. Um, it's going to destroy any equity attempts we've ever had. With if we don't accept those, the whole reason they're not accepting the federal funds is so they don't have to abide by the federal protections for our underserved communities, for our uh, special needs kids, you know, all the Title I things, all of that stuff that helps bring equity to education will be gone. They don't want to have to do it and spend it the way the federal government tells them. And so the way to not have to have those guidelines is not to, to accept the funds. And we, I do not trust them for one second to do right by our special ed kids or by school lunches for kids who, where we have 20 to 25% of our kids who go to bed hungry every night. It's just unheard of. And, and the privatization of our public schools is scary. I know Hamilton received, you know, now they're a, they're a voucher um, county. Yep. And um, this privatization through charters, don't, don't be fooled. Charter schools are not public schools. They are more private than they are public. And this whole attempt at this Hillsdale um, charter schools, they're using other names. Um, ACE is one of them, but they're using either Hillsdale curriculum or their Hillsdale will be the management company. And yep. we cannot let these folks in because they don't care 
um, they they think a teacher is the same thing as um, a babysitter. They they really do, and that's not what it is. And they want to teach their form of patriotism and also teach religion, which we cannot do in our public schools. I believe public schools are the bedrock of democracy. And we have to have, you know, 90% plus of us went to public schools. And I had a man come up to me, a gentleman come up to me. And it's like, well, I, I, we've got to do something about these schools because I don't want my kids learning this weird stuff. And I said, did you go to public school? And he said, yes. I said, what weird stuff did you learn? And he couldn't answer me anything. You know, it's it's just, it's all made up. We're 100%. teaching most often is the th the same things we taught before we are trying to be more inclusive in in the ways that we do it we certainly need i needed to know much more about black history than i ever learned in the schools i went to and the fact that we're um even pushing that out and making teachers afraid to teach scares me to death because, you know, they'll say, well, we're going to teach it at home anyway, but not all families are going to do that. And that's not the way to do it. And and so I am fearful of what's coming if we don't push back on this. And the way to push back is get those good folks um, and and make sure we've got these people on the school board, whatever it takes, because these people that they're bringing in there. They do not respect the human dignity of anyone but the wealthy and well-connected. That's it. 100%. And white. <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. It's completely true. You know, and I think for, for too long, we have, we have all sat in this headspace that Really, it's only the the people who are sitting um, at the state, the state level and the federal level who are influential and in making the decisions that matter the most to us. But we we know uh, the reason why the other side is so desperately going after low level seats like like the school board, uh, like county commissions, like city commissions is because we know that's where the change, that's where the the hearts and minds of a community are are one in those rooms. So if we have not imparted to everyone listening and hopefully uh, whoever's listening later since we broadcasted, broadcasted this live on Facebook, but that that sitting uh, on the school board is an important thing. We hope we have imparted that to you uh, this evening. The stakes could not be higher. We we appreciate, ladies, so much you taking this time tonight, uh, and we would like to also express that this is just a, a starting point conversation. If if you have, by listening um, to our panelists talk about their experiences, ha have an idea that this is something you might want to do, please reach out to us, reach out to um, Rachel Campbell, I know, has made herself available. She is, you know, one of our Hamilton County Democratic Party. There, there are people here that are willing to have those conversations with you and explore uh, what that would look like for you. Guys, thank you very much. 
for joining us this evening. Thank you for running. Thank you for serving. Thank you for demonstrating to us as women that we have we have voices that matter and we deserve a seat at the table. Each of you have demonstrated that we deserve a seat at the table. Thank you for that. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Moms for Social Justice podcast. We hope you found this episode really interesting and informative, and maybe you feel inspired now to run for local office yourself. Moms for Social Justice is a 501c4 organization. If you would like to support our work, you can find a donation link at our website, momsforsocialjustice.us. Just know that um, because we are a C4, your donation will not be tax deductible, but we're so appreciative of your support and it helps us do things like run uh, events like this, our school board panel, as well as this podcast. 